One Sunday last fall, I spoke about heroes and their complexity and frailty. Today's service begins from the additionally complexifying fact that there are at least two meanings of hero. One, the person who is an ideal, an exemplar, and the other, the person who is at the center of the story, the protagonist, in the sense that we are each the hero of our own story. And I want to recognize as well as I begin that the hero's journey I'm speaking about here, the one described by literature professor Joseph Campbell, is an archetype that isn't necessarily meant to be about the entire journey of life. It's a model for the journeys within this journey that we each take, journeys of, of new understanding, difficult, difficult tasks that we have to um, perform for ourselves in our development within the long journey of life. I should also say that Campbell's model is not very supported by scholars of the actual field of folklore, but it's had a great influence on our popular culture, and it's still persuasive. And it is still centered on a kind of journey, whether through life or through an ordeal, that is skewed toward the male. And more, it uses the models of masculinity that were prominent in the times and places, often ancient to which he looks, and that were prominent in Campbell's own mind. He acknowledges that women can themselves be in the role of, of the hero, and a few, in a few instances they are, but mostly women's roles in these journeys are to be the prize to be won, the temptation to be shunned, or the wise goddess. People of other genders don't appear at all. Men act alone. Oh, with mentors and companions, those are important parts of the archetype, but ultimately alone. We see that playing out in the charismatic CEO stories of Silicon Valley. We see it playing out in the loneliness of men such as the one who recently wrote into an advice columnist, sometimes I, a 30-year-old man, wish my close guy friends were a little more emotionally open. I always talk to my girlfriend about any problems or emotional issues I have, but it would be nice to connect on that level with my bros. Yet whenever we talk about life, we talk about it factually, without touching on its emotional aspects. How do I open up to them and get them to open up more to me without feeling like I'm forcing something? We see it in the rose in the anthem we have just heard. Against whom, rose, have you assumed these thorns? From whom does this exaggerated defense protect you? How many enemies have I lifted from you who didn't fear it at all? On the contrary, you wound the affections given you. The poet who wrote these words, Rainer Maria Rilke, gently offers another way with these questions. Perhaps men who have been taught that solitariness offers the only safety can be offered another myth that will be more freeing. The solitariness of the hero is one problem in Campbell's model. The myth of chosenness, of 
destiny is another. Now, it may well be that some people are marked for a particular destiny, but is there anyone of whom that can not be said? Issei Maria Barnwell offers a myth for everyone. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. What if we lived that way, as if we were all heralded by a star, instead of believing that destiny, capital D, destiny, is about being set apart from everyone else? We see the unique destiny myth play out in the agony of young people who absorb the idea that to be important, to be of value, they need to show all the marks of chosenness. They have to do something spectacular, start a company or a new nonprofit before they have to fill out their college applications. It's not enough to simply be a person of integrity following one's own path. That is too much pressure for any 16-year-old to bear, or anyone of any age. And a third problem in the hero's journey archetype is the lack of development in his companions' stories. They are a key part of the story, but their backstories, if they are given at all, are there to support the hero's journey. This leads to a deep, unexamined attitude that the role of other people in the journeys of our lives is instrumental. It's all about what they do for us, what they do with us. What they do when they're alone, well, they vanish. They aren't on a journey of their own. They're only on the hero's journey. We see that playing out in the powerful resistance to decentering whiteness in our country. The 1619 Project, for example, which tells the story of the United States from inside the lives of enslaved people, has threatened the heroic tale of the United States. In that heroic story, slavery and enslaved people are supposed to be secondary characters. If we actually tell their stories, as 1619 Project does, as if they too are on journeys that intersect with the stories of characters like the U.S. Founding Fathers, then what will happen? Wouldn't it be great to find out? That the heroic myth fails men as well as people of other genders is illustrated by the beautiful story Matt told of his journey. His challenge was to connect more directly with the people for whom and with whom he sang. It, re it required the courage that is modeled by the heroic male archetype, absolutely. It required a transformation of self that is also in that archetype. But his journey was mostly about connection, that vibrating ribbon between singer and recipient that shrank the distance between them. For someone on a journey such as Matt described, what guidance does the myth of the hero offer? Now, no story can do it all, and no doubt I am missing out on many of the subtleties of Campbell's model. But a mythic archetype that drew from more diverse experiences of being human would serve him, would serve all of us, 
better. Blogger B.J. Priester, writing on Fangirl Blog, urges us to look at what a heroine's journey might add that is missing from the hero's journey. For example, it might have a more human-centered inspiration where the old stories were often centered on a god, goddess, or multiple deities. Companions might not be mere sketches, mostly there to propel the central, the central character's story forward, but would have richly developed character arcs of their own. And the author, um, B.J. Priester, who is steeped in U.S. popular culture, wants us to look forward, not only backward to the myths of the past. He thinks there's more potential there in today's movies, in, in comics, in books written in the last decade. There's more potential there to break away from damaging assumptions. As he writes, a storytelling model that only looks backward, as Campbell's model does, runs a great risk of losing touch with the norms and expe expectations of the contemporary audience. Even just in American popular culture, comparable examples are either easy to identify. The Hollywood Westerns of the 1960s and 70s, for example, for instance, portray Native Americans in a way that rightfully would be roundly criticized for offensive stereotypes today. And hopefully, no one would look to films like Gone with the Wind or The Song of the South for inspiration on how to write African-American characters. Various religious and ethnic groups have been similarly, similarly stereotyped in invidious ways, as have gays and lesbians. But looking only at historical sources rather than contemporary society is likely to perpetuate these injustices rather than help to end them. Historical and prehistorical sources do have more female empowerment than we have often been led to believe. Just the same, women have long known that if we follow the models of the past, we will always have a secondary and inferior role. We are trying to change the story, not just follow the old one. A myth formed from thousands of years, hundreds of cultures that are almost all patriarchal in nature is far too limited. It doesn't even include the point of view of half of humanity. So on this day before International Women's Day, let's look at a story still in the past, but in our recent past for what we might add to the archetype of the life journey. I'm going to tell just a tiny bit of this story because the story of a life is complex. And it comes from our own culture, the United States of the 19th and 20th centuries in order provi to provide a model for engaging here in US culture of the 21st century. But it's also international, evoking the people whose roots in Africa meant that they were never accepted as valid models for US American life and showing that they should be. The story of a real person, Mary Church Terrell. She was born in 1863 to parents who themselves had been born into slavery. Both of them were of mixed race, and despite a lot of economic and educational privilege, Molly Church, as she was known in her early years, knew the brutality of racism, 
One of her closest friend, friends was lynched, an experience that shaped her for the rest of her life, her long life. She was one of the first African-American women to earn a college degree. Her alma mater, Oberlin, has recently named its main library after her. She taught in the first public high school for American, African-American students. She was one of the founding members of the NAACP and the National Association of Colored Women, serving as the latter's first national president. She directed the campaigns of congressional candidates and was a leader in party politics throughout her life. And at the age of almost 90, she researched and planned and made herself a test case for desegregation of restaurants in Washington, DC, laying the groundwork for the Brown versus Board of Education case that would follow a few years later. Her life spanned the Civil War, 1863, to the heart of the modern African-American civil rights movement, 1954. Terrell's journey can't really be felt fit into the hero's journey model, which is the point. The kinds of struggles she underwent, the journeys that she undertook could be models for our own. For example, one of the recurring difficulties of her life as she worked in various agencies and campaigns and parties was gathering companions together and the difficulties of keeping together. When one is in party politics, when one is in a brand new New Deal agency that hasn't yet adjusted to the fact that Black people can be leaders, one is constantly having to negotiate the matter of how do we even journey together? This is what she did. She wasn't a lone heroine off on her own with maybe a helpmeet. Her job was to bring people together, to organize them, to get them to vote, to get them to act, and bring them all along on the journey. What do we have in the hero's journey that teaches us to do that? But we have a great deal in Terrell's story. Stories about infighting and envy and being a leader who nevertheless brings people along and also doesn't jump into other people's lanes. She had to face problems like which party one should even belong to as a Republican, as an African-American woman. Obviously a loyal Republican coming out of the Civil War and then as the policies of Harding, Coolidge, and Hoover, all Republicans bring on the Great Depression and a Democrat, a member of that hated party, the party of racism, the party of the Confederacy, creates the New Deal with all of its promise. These were huge questions for a generation of people, questions such as we face today. And what does the hero's journey monomyth tell us about these? Nothing much, but they are the kinds of obstacles facing anyone who is trying to heroically change the course of our country. We need stories like Terrell's. Because I think maybe one of the reasons that we don't do these things so well, this party building and organizing and systemic change is that we don't have a guiding myth 
Faced with complexity like building institutions, we try to struggle alone like the heroes of the myths that we have. We gather secondary companions and much of the battle is within ourselves. Sure, that all fits the myth. But what of challenges like the one that Terrell felt when she tried to join the, um, the, a, uh, the American Association of University Women, AAUW, and was told that she couldn't, not because she was black, oh no, but because she was a communist. What made her a communist in their eyes? She was a supporter of peace and civil rights organizations, which were suspiciously critical of the status quo. Anti-communism itself is a result of thinking in the rigidly Campbell heroic mode, where the line between good and evil is fairly clear, and the hero's task is to carry the banner of the good side. In this case, the good side being the United States, specifically during uh, Terrell's um, years, the Truman administration, and even more specifically, the House Un-American Activities Committee. Mary Church Terrell saw it as more complex. While she was not a communist and had deep criticisms of the Soviet Union, she insisted that the right thing to do required nuance. She supported the American peace crusade because she wanted to get, hear her words, our soldiers out of Korea. Colored soldiers are badly treated, given unjust sentences, she wrote. A trial with hostile surroundings lasting less than one hour, personal with me. Don't want my nephew Thomas to go as a soldier to Korea. White people might have been able to ignore the fact that black soldiers were, quote, disproportionately subjected to capital sentences and court-martial hearings, unquote. She could not. <clears throat> and she questioned the goodness of those who did. She says, she wrote, people here pretend they fear communism to keep folks from talking about the shameful manner the USA is violating the Constitution. What is the heroic journey when one is a loyal, loving citizen of a country that one wishes to save from its worst failures? Terrell's sto own story can be a better guide to us than the hero's journey. And furthermore, the struggle in which she engaged was more complex than that story suggests. As Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird says about his struggle to get justice for a black man unjustly accused, this time we're fighting our friends. The fights over communism were internal, among friends. For Terrell, the, one of the proxy battles was with the head of the AAUW, the American Association of, Amer of University Women. She broke the color barrier of that organization, an organization forever linked in my mind to Misao Sakamoto, a longtime UUCPA member who died a year ago this month and who would not have been able to join this organization to which she was so devoted, if not for Terrell and other heroes who journeyed before her. That is the kind of struggle amongst friends that we need among our models if we are to know how to be victorious when those struggles come our way.
As our society, far behind many others, gradually awakens to the existence of other genders, these stories too offer new paths for us. For people who are transgender, gender fluid, agender, and other understandings outside the gender binary, the journey of even finding their path is heroic and exemplary. How often do we need to seek outside the experience of anyone we know in order to find our mentors and models? The child who is the first in his family to graduate from high school, the young woman who is the only woman not only in her workplace but in her field, may proceed for a long time without mentors and have to bushwhack their own path. Just as Mary Church Terrell offers a model for complex, difficult internal struggles, there's such an amazing model that gender nonconforming folks could offer to these folks who are doing the bushwhacking, the journey where others have surely journeyed before, but we seek a long time before even finding their traces ahead of us. We all need as many models as we can get as we travel on our own journeys. With some journeys, we must, like the heroic archetype, go it largely alone saying, if you won't go, don't you hinder me. And with others, as we will sing next, we must be guided through the hard night by love. If we are to create a different world, we must depart from the narrow paths set by the myths of men alone. And lo and behold, there are so many people who carry banners that we can follow to this new world. <laughs>